Paul Thomas is a, is a complete dog. I mean, this guy is someone who plays with fury and passion, and I think he's still got it. OJ's incredible, and the fact that he's still a part of the Ravens community and is still a part of everything that Baltimore stands for, I, I just love that man. And, he, I mean, obviously it puts everything in perspective. I got to tell you, the, the passion's real, the love is real, and I just appreciate that fan base so much. Welcome into the lounge. There is no make in the lounge this week. It's vacation season. You know, once the weather starts to turn, I always feel like that's where we lose make. You know, that's where once the sun starts coming out, we go through daylight savings time. That's where make becomes, uh, you know, pop in, pop out in here occasionally. So this is the time of year where we are. So Clifton Brown is stepping in for make this week. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Big shoes to fill. Make. <laughs> Guesses, I don't know, undisclosed location somewhere <laughs> in the world. Right. But uh, until he gets back, we're going to try and hold it down. We're going to hold down the lounge. All right. Until he gets back. So uh, we have an interview with Peter Schrager we're going to get into. But before we do that, uh, Cliff, I just want to get kind of your big picture take on what the last 10 days have looked like for the Ravens. Yeah, it's been a whirlwind. I mean, players coming, players going. We all know the significant names that have left. You know, Flacco, Suggs, Mosley. <laughs> Weddle, I mean, Zarius, it has not been what you would call a normal offseason, in my opinion. But, you know, obviously getting Earl Thomas, got to be excited about that. Mark Ingram, Justin Bethel, a great special teams player. So it's a new transition. And, you know, with Eric DeCosta, first offseason general manager, really interesting. So yeah. a lot going on. There is a lot going on. So we're going to dive into that a little bit more. But before we do that, I had a chance to catch up with Peter Schrager from Good Morning Football. You can catch him every Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. on NFL Network. It's one of the best football shows out there. So let's go ahead and jump in with my interview with Peter Schrager. Well, Peter, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate the time. Uh, let's start with kind of the off-season moves. Uh, there's good, there's bad. Let's start with the good news. I'm a, I'm a glass-half-full kind of guy here. So let's start with the, with the good news, and that's the addition of Earl Thomas and Mark Ingram. What do you think? Yeah, I like it. I mean, you think about you counter the first couple of days of free agency to that day where they signed both of them. You're thinking, all right, the Ravens are asleep at the wheel. What's happening to our roster? And then you pick up two of the best guys, respectively, at their position the last five years. Earl Thomas is a, is a complete dog. I mean, this guy is someone who plays with fury and passion, and I think he's still got it. Before he hurt the leg and all that happened last year, he was playing really good football, like all pro-level football on a defense that wasn't with the guys he was used to playing with for the most part in that back end. And then Mark Ingram, I mean, that's a gamer in every sense of the word. That's a guy that Sean Payton swore by. That's a guy that helped Alvin Kamara become what he is. And I think he's perfect for this Ravens offense, but also perfect for the Ravens kind of identity and mantra of just being tough, smart, and almost playing angry. That's what you get with these two players. You get a fury with both of them. And I think they both got things to prove to the rest of the league. So I love those two additions. The losses, they're going to be tough to withstand as well, though. You know, you did a segment on Good Morning Football about how not only did you think like Thomas would be a great fit for the Ravens, but that you thought that sort of this would be a great fit for him, like the city, the the atmosphere, the team, the history. Why do you feel that way? I think he's going to eat it up. I mean, he was beloved by those Seattle Seahawks fans until the final year of the season where he essentially flipped off his sideline and said, you know what, I tried playing with my final year of my contract. Here's how it ends up. 
it all does work out. He gets paid really well by the Ravens. And I'm telling you, Earl Thomas fits everything Baltimore is about. Uh, blue collar, tough guy, uh, fits in the mold of Ed Reed or even Ray Lewis where there's leadership values and he'll talk the talk as well as walk the walk. Uh, and I always listen to everything about it. I mean, if you're a if you're a stud for the Ravens, if you are one of those guys, you are a one-name guy in that town. And what I mean by that is you don't need to say Ray who. When you say Ray <laughs> in Baltimore, people know who it is. And it's not Ray Knight. It is Ray <laughs> Lewis. You know, it's Ed. It, it, it's Ed Reed. And then I said Joe is the third one. I think Flacco's legacy will be forever felt. And he'll be beloved in that city as well. And if Earl Thomas can bring this team back to a Super Bowl or can help that defense get to – where they want to go, I think he'll be a one-name guy as well. That's awesome. So Ingram, uh, he was kind of uh, he kind of flew under the radar a little bit with his signing because Earl Thomas, I think, attracted most of the attention. But Ingram has been highly productive the past several years. Do you think he could be a bell cow for the Ravens? Yeah, I do. I think. Look, I don't know if anyone these days can get thirty carries a game anymore. Right. That's such a rare thing. I don't think Saquon Barkley is going to see thirty carries a game. But if you can get fifteen to twenty carries from Mark Ingram, you're going to get hundred yards and a touchdown. That's what he does. That's what he's proven, and I think leadership in the room. I feel like you put him in a running back's room, he's selfless. Uh, he wants to block. He's great in the pass protection game. If you watch that Rams playoff game, he lays out Dante Fowler twice in a way that you would hope, uh, you know, if you have to do that. The Ravens are so fascinating to me this year because I don't know what the hell they're going to look like on offense. And if you look at the first three quarters of that playoff game, all it took was the Chargers watching the film and finding a way to, you know, to, to defend Lamar Jackson because fits. And then in the fourth quarter, Lamar Jackson starts throwing the ball over the yard and they make it a game. So that was a weird taste left in my mouth of the Ravens offense, but they're all in, obviously. And I think what you're going to see is they're going to draft in a way that a lot of teams wouldn't draft. They're going to draft built towards whatever this Lamar Jackson offense is going to be. And that means running the ball a lot and also protecting and making sure that he has all the time in the world to make decisions. What do you think of Lamar? I'm torn on Lamar. I okay. loved him coming out of Louisville. I thought it might take him a few years before he becomes an NFL quarterback. And then I thought he just we, he stole the city, and I think he stole the, the, the locker room. I think I did a game. I did Chargers-Ravens sidelines the Saturday night game when the Ravens won. And I was amazed to hear Harbs talk about Lamar as a leader. I was amazed to talk to the other players on the team and hear how they gravitate towards him. There was a special quality. I don't know if he's good at quarterback, and I'm pretty pro-Ravens for the most part. I'm not sure he can do it for 16 games the way they play, but that's why I think this draft is going to be so fascinating and to see what Greg Roman can do because they might build the team around his skill set so he doesn't have to go and drop back 30 times a game and, and make plays that they expect out of Patrick Mahomes and maybe a Joe Flacco. There might only have to be six to eight passes a game that he has to hit, and if the offense is built around him, he could be the most dynamic quarterback in the league. Right, right. Yeah, it, it is. This this offseason is definitely going to be an interesting one to see how the pieces all come together around him because it is. I agree with you. It's fascinating. So, Who's the backup quarterback right now, Garrett? I don't know. Who's well, the backup quarterback on the roster? There isn't one. There literally isn't so, one. <laughs> so to me, like I was shocked they didn't go after a Tyrod Taylor. I was surprised they didn't bring in another running quarterback because – the truth of the matter is, and I think I would be criticized for saying this, Lamar Jackson is very susceptible to an injury, even though he wasn't injured last year. But the way they're going to play, the backup quarterback is going to be important. And if that backup quarterback can also run the same offense, or if that backup quarterback can also add that athleticism, that makes it really tough for an opponent to say, all right, well, 
uh, here we go. If we just get rid of Lamar Jackson, if we find a way to knock him out of the game, then we can just deal with a typical Mark Sanchez or, you know, Case Keenum type. That's we know what we're going to get. But if they can add another quarterback, I wouldn't be shocked if they drafted one in the third round or the fourth round and said, here's the best dual threat quarterback in this draft. We'll add him to our team. And now you've got to deal with both of them because I think that's a very, very undervalued position. And you saw last year, once Lamar came in, it totally changed the face of the team. Yeah, well, RG3 is still sitting out there, too. So I, I, I feel like he... I would bring back RG3. Uh, yeah, I can see that for great, sure. Great option. Yeah, I, I could I could totally see that. Now that the, the starting quarterback market's kind of settled, the backup quarterback market is settling, I can see that happening. From everything I heard, he was a great teammate, and the guys liked him. And that was the, the rip on him when he was in Washington, is that he didn't get along with the other players, and he was buddies with the owner. I, I think he's totally... Uh, was a beloved teammate in that Baltimore locker room this year, from what I gather. Yeah, I would I would second that for sure. So what do you make of this AFC North? Like, it's so weird because you have guys that have been fixtures for so long. Antonio Brown gone, Le'Veon Bell gone, Odell Beckham in, Joe Flacco gone, Terrell Suggs gone. Like, what do you make of this division as a whole? I would just use caution in crowning the Browns. That's all <laughs> I – and I've been getting clobbered on that because I'm good morning football. I've been this, like – like I guess wet, wet, damp towel on all the Browns fans because they're all claiming they're Super Bowl contenders. I think yeah. they were seven, eight, and one last year, and none of those guys have any experience playing for winning teams. And to go the distance, to go from training camp to February and be a team that can go the distance, you need to have leadership, you need to have experience, and you need to avoid any of those blowups. And I'll be honest with the Browns, I can't, I, I can't anticipate this happening in the first week, but I would say around week five or six, there's going to be a situation where Baker Mayfield's going to be two for eight in the first quarter, and his two passes are going to go to Duke Johnson or Nick Chubb, and Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry are going to start talking. And those two guys are vocal, those two guys want the ball, and those two guys have a history of being combustible on the sideline. I, I just, you know what, on paper and on fantasy football, it's real nice and it'll sell a lot of jerseys, but I can't crown the Browns just based on acquisitions. I need to see it on the field first. And I need to see what Freddie Kitchens can do, you know. Mike Tomlin and John Harbaugh have been through it all. The right. highs, the lows, everything. I know that they're going to bring it every week. And, we, you know, Cincinnati, I think they're, they're a work in progress. I don't know the head coach as far as what he's going to do. Um, but I can't give this division to anyone other than the Ravens or the Steelers until I see it on, on, on the field. And as far as bad uh, uh, an ugly offseason it was for the Steelers, I think they got rid of some toxic pieces to that team. And they might be just fine without them. Ben Roethlisberger is really good. Cam Hayward's really good. David DeCastro's really good. There's still a lot of talent on that roster. So, to me, and I'll, I'll wear this one if it looks stupid in <laughs> seven, eight months, I'm not giving anything to the Browns just yet. I used to cover the Browns, so I've seen kind of all, all angles of that uh, that storyline. So, um, some people may not know this, Peter, but uh, you actually, if you go back a few years here, you wrote a book with O.J. Brigance called Strength yes. of a Champion. Uh, which is a fantastic book and, and walks through OJ's life. People know OJ's story here uh, very well. It's an inspiring book. Like, what what did you take away from working with OJ on that book? I mean, I can't underestimate the forget forget the book. I had an experience of spending like four or five months working with OJ and his wife Chandra, and they were just the most amazing people. And that book came out probably right after the Super Bowl, so that was probably five years ago. And OJ, just to be completely clear, with the ALS diagnosis, was had already you know lived longer than people thought he would, and here we are five years later, he's still going. Like yep. OJ's incredible, and the fact that he's still a part of the Ravens community and is still a part of everything that Baltimore stands for, I, I just love that man. And he, I mean, obviously, it puts everything in perspective. 
when you talk to OJ for 10 minutes out of your day or you send an email to OJ and he responds within five minutes. We've kept in touch. He's a beautiful, beautiful man. And I mean, I almost selfishly email him more than I probably should just so I can get a piece of him because he just offers so much light and inspiration. And if you don't know OJ's story and you're listening to this, I'm not encouraging you to buy the book. I would just say Google OJ Brigant and read up on him because he's just uh, an amazing guy. You mentioned the email thing. It's so cool because when you get that email, you know that he typed it with his eyes. Like that's the craziest thing. Whenever I get an email from him, I'm like, I know that he did this with his eyes and it's, uh, you kind of cherish that for sure. I'll tell you a quick story with OJ. So, you know, the Super Bowl happens and I, I saw a really good piece that they did on ESPN with OJ Brigance and I approached uh, him and his wife and said, I would love to write your story. I think it's unbelievable. And I had a, a successful book before that with Victor Cruz from the Giants who's right after their Super Bowl win and the publisher said, if you've got a compelling story, come to us with it. It was kind of like my one my one pitch I could make and, you know, pick anyone you want. And I was like, this OJ Brigance is incredible. So, went to the publisher and said, okay, well, we need, we need like a, I guess, 2,000 word kind of summary of what the book is about. So, OJ and I were talking over email and I, I spoke with Chandra a bunch and we said, let's, uh, let's put together this thing. OJ, here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to send you about 10 questions over email, simple ones. You know, who are your inspirations growing up? What are your memories of playing for the Ravens Super Bowl team? All this stuff. And, uh, you know, they said, of course, we'll get back to you with that. And I said, great. Based on what we get from that, I can kind of write a little summary of what this book is going to be. And I can kind of get a feeling for how this communication is going to work because OJ can't speak. He can only use his eyes to type. So one day goes by, no response. Two days goes by, no response. Three days go by, no response. Five days go by, no response from OJ. And I'm like, all right, this is, this is probably a dead end here. This is going to be really difficult. How do you type a book with your eyes? And how do I even... All right, so I tell the publisher, I'm not sure how this is going to go. He goes, all right, as I say that, an email comes through, and it was about 10,000 words wow. of responses to the 10 questions. Each one 1,000 words, each one just riddled with inspiration, each one with great stories, laugh-out-loud stories about Ray Lewis. Like, And I was like, all right, away we go. And <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of my my entire experience with OJ. It's, you know, it, it, it's just everything you can want and more. And that guy... God bless him. He's an unbelievable man. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I'll let you out of here on this one, uh, Peter. I, some one of the things I always love is is are your monologues about Baltimore. You've done a couple. You know, you, uh, think about uh, you did one right around the playoff game last year at the end of the season, and uh, I love them on Good Morning Football. So I'm just curious, like, what is it about the city and the fans and the stadium and like the game day experience that stands out to you and that you love so much? Yeah, you know, I had no connection with the Baltimore Ravens at all. And then in 2007, I met a woman in New York uh, in a bar, and uh, we hit it off, and she ended up being my wife. And my wife is from Pikesville, Maryland, and her family are season ticket holders for the Baltimore Ravens since their first inaugural season. Awesome. They sit in section 151. They've got four <laughs> tickets. They have never missed a home game. And I bought in. Like, I kind of just was like, all right, I've covered the NFL for 10 years. What are, what are these guys going to have? That no-? And I got to tell you, the, the passion's real. The love is real. And I just appreciate that fan base so much and the way they run their organization in that building. You're in the castle every day. You know, it's second to none. And I just appreciate it. And I, you know, I was, I've been on the highs and lows with a lot of it as, as uh, married to a fan and then also covering it as a journalist. But, uh, I have to keep my uh, my biases and my objectivity, but I'll tell you, I saw it firsthand through the eyes of people who live and die with the Baltimore Ravens, and there's a real passion there. 
That's awesome. Well, I can't wait to look forward to your next monologue. You know, whenever that oh, is. Oh, we'll come. We'll come. <laughs> first, time, first time everyone's throwing stones because there's no one at middle linebacker and a team ran for 200 yards and they should have paid C.J. Mosley. I'll come up with a, with a monologue. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Hey, Peter, always good to catch up. Thanks so much for the time, and I uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. You're the man. Keep up the great work. All right, thanks, buddy. All right, so thanks to Peter. Uh, really appreciate the time with him. He is, uh, as you just said, uh, somebody that, that loves kind of the Baltimore vibe, and I love his diatribes about the Ravens and uh, love his perspective. And I also love Good Morning Football. So it's a great Good show. show. Yeah. It is. Um, so, Cliff, um, I want to talk with you a little bit before we, before we wrap up today just about looking ahead. First of all, next week, NFL owners meetings. Uh, those are going to be in Arizona. We're making fun of Mink for escaping to the sun. You're next, man. You're, ne- you're next. I'm working, man. I'm, I'm working. <laughs> yeah, right. We'll see how much, how many stories you write and how much time you spend on the course. <laughs> my, my, my see a swing or two. Right, might see a swing or two. Yeah, right, right. Out in Arizona, sunny Arizona, shouldn't be too bad. Um, what's kind of the big storylines you're going to be following next week? Well, I mean, from a league-wide perspective, I think rule changes, if there are any, are going to be big. Um, you know, the controversy with the Rams Saints, people still talking about that. I wonder if the league's going to make any changes about the way some of these controversial calls are reviewed or not reviewed. So that'll be one thing. To- On that front, I always wonder, like, do they have that coaching breakfast? So all the coaches are out there. They have about an hour of availability. And John Harbaugh has made a point over some at recent owners' meetings where he's kind of attracted a crowd of some national writers, and he's picked a topic. Sometimes it's been instant replay, but he is very clued into the rules, and I'm curious if this will be an option, an opportunity for him to make his feelings known. Yeah, if he wants to do that, I'm sure he will. Yeah. And uh, he won't be the only coach, though. I mean, that game brought a lot of attention, not just from the Saints and Rams, but is this, is this a league-wide problem? that In a game that important, deciding who's going to the Super Bowl for the NFC – a call may have really, in this case, decided the game. So I'm interested to see what John says about it, what other coaches say. And then there's been so much happening around the league, like, you know, Mike Tomlin, the first chance you hear from him. Oh, gosh, yeah. Really since he lost Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown and all that's going on in that locker room. Uh, you know, other coaches, Cleveland now, sticking with AFC North, Freddie Kitchens. You know, coaching Odell Beckham, the talent, the expectations with the Browns. So... I think in this atmosphere, I always liked it because coaches are more relaxed. Everybody's undefeated. There's not a game plan they're worrying about. So you get some more candid comments, I think, than you do sometimes during the season. So it should be fun. Yeah, the, the Freddie Kitchens thing is interesting and the Browns thing in general. I mean, it's, Peter was just talking about in his interview. He's not ready to crown them just yet. So it'll be interesting to see how they kind of handle the expectation piece of this whole equation. I don't think that's overblown when you're expected to win. Right. Uh, it adds a different pressure, um, a different uh, mindset that teams have when they play you. Think about it. The Browns, I mean, let's face it, people looked at them, they're on a schedule, okay, that's a win. Right. Now you go to Cleveland, you're expecting a tough game. Mm -hmm. You're thinking they can beat you. You're up for them. Mm -hmm. That's something Cleveland hasn't experienced in a long time. And they have a lot of young players. I mean, this will be Baker Mayfield's second year. We know he has a lot of talent. But we also know many players, even great players, the adjustment from first year to second year, when people have seen you and make adjustments to you, it can be difficult time sometimes to counteract that. So it's really going to be an interesting season. And then when you throw in Kitchens as a first-year head coach, 
that's another dynamic. It's really going to be interesting how it plays. Well, out. the the reverse of it's true too. There's the component of like how opposing teams will now feel going into the Browns. Mm-hmm. Then there's also the feeling of how the Browns will approach each game, knowing that now the expectation is that they're going to win. Like right. they, I've I've covered them and I've been there. I've been a fan of the Browns, and like I know that a lot of times the feeling going into games is that they're not going to win. Right. And so now the expectation is going to be from the start that. Right now, they're the favorites to win the AFC North. So the pressure is going to be on them to win the AFC North. If they start 0-2, all of a sudden, how, th- how do things go? How does that locker room respond? How do the veterans approach things? That, that is like a, the questions that I have about that team. Now, we have plenty of time to talk about the division. <laughs> um, something that's closer is the draft, and we still have plenty of time to talk about that. But based on what the Ravens have done in free agency, I think it'll be really interesting to see what their approach is on draft weekend. Because to me, at the start of the offseason, the main needs were wide receiver. Uh, that was probably at the top of the list. Running back, which they've addressed. I felt like offensive line could be improved. The interior of that offensive line upgraded. Haven't touched it there. So maybe that's an option early. Mm-hmm. Uh, receiver certainly but now you have these holes on defense like pass rusher is suddenly maybe the biggest need on the team when you lose the Darius Interrail sucks right I mean the pass rush certainly is in the wide receiver and you mentioned offensive line one thing that's interesting to me is okay I think everyone agrees that they it wouldn't be a shock to see them draft a wide receiver at some point if not the first round but there's so many different wide receivers and so many that did well at the combine if they do take a wide receiver, which ones are going to be? I mean, I'm just going through mock drafts. I've seen five different wide <laughs> receivers mocked to the Ravens at the, at the number 22 pick. So that's DK Metcalf. Right. Paris Campbell. Yes. Marquise Brown. No, A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown. Okay. A.J. <laughs> right. Brown. Right. There's also Marquise Brown, who I've seen right. chatter around him, the Oklahoma right. kid. Right. Nikhil uh, Harry. Nikhil Harry. Right. And... Who are we missing? There's another big guy, I think, possession receiver. Um, there were five different ones. Okay. Five. So I'm like, okay, which one? Yeah. Like, and how much discussion is going on amongst the Ravens staff as to which one fits us the best? And if one of them or three of those guys are there, do they pick one or do they go for a pass rusher? Or you still haven't, even though they grabbed Mark Ingram, what if Josh Jacobs is there? Mm-hmm. I mean, what if you could have Jacobs and Ingram? Right, and right. Gus. And Gus. The bus. Right. You're talking about all in on the running game. <laughs> That's all in. So it's very interesting to me what they might do. And even though they've made some moves, you think, okay, now they're going to do this. You still don't know. Right. To me, like the question is, what's the biggest need at this point? Because I look at it, and I feel like now the biggest overall need on the team is pass rusher. Like that – with the loss of Suggs and Zadarius, that's 15 and a half sacks that have walked out the door. You've got Matt Judon, but say how he's getting double teamed. Do you feel confident that Tyus Bowser and Tim Williams can step in and be the number two pass rusher? Now, maybe the Ravens still go out there and get a veteran. Justin Houston, there's been all this talk about him externally. Is he somebody that the Ravens have their eye on? Would he? What kind of deal is he looking for? I think that will be an interesting one. Um, but I still think pass rusher is probably the biggest need. But you do want to get some offensive playmakers to put around Lamar. And yeah. Ingram is that, but you still are looking for a receiver. Like, it's, well, that's, the, that's to me is the biggest question. Like, I think overall wide receiver, that's 
not necessarily as big of a need as it would be compared to other teams because of the style that the Ravens are going to play where they're so dependent on the run game. But even with that said, you want to have premier player at wide receiver. I, I think it would be doing a disservice to Lamar if you just said, well, we're going to run the ball so much, we yep. don't need to put good receivers on the team. Yep, I agree. So I think they're going to try and address both between the pass rusher and wide receiver. Now the draft is deep at both of those positions. So there's a good year to get a pass rusher. There's a good year to get a wide receiver. I do think also that played into the pass rusher part why the secondary is so important for them yeah. because their secondary looks great. And worst case scenario, if they can't get as much pressure on quarterbacks as they like, they should at least be able to cover well. And maybe that, that will help the pass rush. But I agree with you. I mean, it's a big year for both Williams and Bowser. They need at least one of those guys to start becoming the impact pass rusher that they thought they were getting when they drafted them. Because, as you mentioned, Juna, Judon has come on well, but now missing Zadarius and Suggs, yeah, if you decide that you want to double-team Judon and just risk that someone else will hurt you, I mean, that's, that's kind of like the Von Miller treatment. Only, yeah. only the elite pass rushers get that treatment, and a lot of guys, you know, can't really handle that. So I think that, yeah, the Ravens do need and will, I think, get a pass rusher, whether it's a veteran or in the draft. They will add at least one wide receiver, whether it's a veteran or draft. But, yeah, they need an impact person, I think, who's not on the roster yet, at both of those spots. All right. Well, this is uh, something we'll spend a lot of time discussing. I hope you enjoy Arizona. Enjoy the course. <laughs> yeah, I'll make it. I'll make it to the meetings at some point. <laughs> yeah, you'll stop I by. You'll, you stop by the meetings. We look forward to that. Uh, you can follow all of Cliff's coverage throughout next week, and uh, Mink will be back some point between now and the draft. So uh, we, <laughs> we look forward to him getting back whenever that is. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. As always, you can email the show at the lounge at ravens.nfl.net and uh, that's it for us and we will be back with you next week <laughs>